Amen. So we are uh, continuing in our sermon series. We're looking at these uh, various Lenten letters um, that many of the many churches all around the world are studying through this through this season, and they help us to examine our life during Lent. You know, to be reflective, to remember that that life is short, and uh, to to not just reflect on our actions, but also to look at our hearts and our motivations and our desires and to look inwardly, to examine our life um, so that uh, when Holy Week comes, when Good Friday comes, when Easter comes, uh, we can live into the fullness of that experience. This is a wonderful, wonderful uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, It's very central to what we believe And uh, I'm excited to to share God's word with you this morning. This is God's word uh, from Ephesians 2, and we'll look at verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it's uh, it's fairly straightforward to see the main point of this passage three times. Paul talks about grace, God's grace that's been given to us. It's by grace that you've been saved. Grace is all over this passage. And there's probably not a single worship service at Park Lane Christian Reformed Church where we don't talk about God's grace, where we don't hear that word, where where I don't pronounce God's grace over you, where uh, we don't sing a song about it. You know, so many of our favorite songs and hymns of the faith, the hymns that we turn to in our darkest hour, are about God's incredible grace. And a lot of people inside the church or outside the church, a lot of people love this idea of grace. I mean, God is, God is forgiving. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? And, and sometimes people misunderstand it or 
take it as a, a license. Instead of wanting God to draw near, to, to keep God at, at arm's length, because they, they minimize it. You know, one, one person said, I like to sin, God likes to forgive, what a world. And yet, that's, that's not understanding grace. That's not really applying it to our life. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller wrote that if Christianity hasn't been a life-changing power for you, it's probably because you don't understand grace. Once we understand grace, our life gets turned upside down and gets totally transformed because it's such a radical idea and it changes every area of our life. 2020 was a, a bit of an interesting year. It was a tough year for, for many of us and all the things going on in our culture and then sort of the normal stuff that happens also kept going. Uh, I was driving my car with my family. We were running some errands. We were heading back home. We were just up the street on 162nd here and our car died. We were stranded on the side of the road. And actually, it wasn't even the side of the road. We were in the middle of the road because we were right, you know. A good Samaritan had to push, help me push into that little gas station. And, you know, it's just, it's so frustrating because uh, you weren't planning on that happening. So then, you know, I had my, had my two kids with me. You got to figure out, okay, how am I going to get them home? Uh, how am I going to get a tow truck? What's, what's going on with this car? I mean, it was in the shop earlier today. Shouldn't they have caught something? So I, uh, I arrange all the stuff, takes a couple hours. You know, you're just, you're just waiting there on the side of the road. And the guys call me the next morning. And, um, you know, I had been there. I had been there for just for my normal oil change, right? But, you know, when they do your oil they always find two or three or ten other things that you should do right away. And I was feeling in a good mood that morning, and so I said, okay, why don't you, you know, do this, this, and that, whatever. And so the mechanic, they, um, they took the oil out of my car, the old oil, and they did these two or three other things, and then they gave me my car back. It turns out you can drive about 15 miles in my car with no oil in it at all, before the engine blows up. So we made it about that far. And the guys, they called me the next morning and they said, we are so sorry, Mr. Armstrong. And I said, that's Reverend Armstrong to you. But we are going to have to put a new engine in your, in your car because this has never happened before, but our mechanic forgot to put the, the, the new oil back in. And here's a brand new car that you can drive for the next four or five days until we get yours going. Now, what was really cool about that was it's grace. It's grace, right? It's, it's free. And I kind of had a long-running joke because we never had a car that nice before. And I always said I'm going to hand it off to Silas when he gets to be 16. I always want to keep that car for like 10 years. And now I actually have a chance because it's got a brand new engine. That, uh, that he's going to be driving that when he's in high school. But 
it was, it, was, it was grace. It was grace that they did it. It was grace that they you know, took responsibility for it and that they gave me this, this, um, this engine. But what we often don't understand about grace and the ways that we minimize it are they, that we forget that it's costly. We forget that how much it costs Jesus on the cross to give us grace, to offer himself, not only um, the physical, but the spiritual. And we think about that in these times of, of Lent, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's, it's costly. Grace is costly, but it's also essential. It's essential, and we'll get into that a little bit. But, you know, to use my car example again, you can't go anywhere without an engine. You're not going anywhere. You're stuck. God's grace is costly, and yet it's essential. It's vital for our lives. This morning, I just want to share with you and teach you about a few ways that grace is amazing. Uh, you know, Philip Yancey wrote that book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And it's a, it's a good book. It's a powerful book. So often we get distracted from the God of grace and the gospel, the good news that he's given us. But this morning, Paul just hits it on the head. These, these incredible things about grace. And so what he teaches us is four things. He teaches us that grace makes dead people alive. It makes dead people alive. It makes prideful people humble. Grace combines with love and mercy. And grace sends us out. Those four things are part of what makes grace so amazing. So, let's, uh, let's begin with verse 1. Um, Paul is there, he's, he's, he's been talking about Jesus and what he's done. And the, uh, the significance of who Christ is and his power. That he wasn't just a human being with flesh and bones, but he was 100% God. And, he, and he's uh, seated at the right hand of God. And then Paul turns from Christ back to us, back to the church. And he says to the Ephesian church, and he says to us, as for you, as for you guys, as for you all, and I, want, I, I, I couldn't get past the first three words, as for you all, you were dead. You were dead. You were dead. I mean, you can't say much more than that. I mean, what, what does he mean? What does he mean by that? Um, he's saying, you know, we weren't sick. We didn't just, you know, have a spiritual cold, so to speak. We didn't just need a little bit of help getting over the finish line. You know, like, well, we're good. We're, we're doing our best, and, and you know, God, God, will, God will take care of us in the end. No. That's not what the Bible teaches. Paul says that we were dead, and a dead person can't save themselves. A dead person needs to be resurrected. Fortunately, the God that we know is in the business of resurrection. 
And he resurrected Jesus. And he resurrects us by giving us life, by giving us grace. It's been written that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. That's what Paul's talking about here. Back in January, I preached on the the Beatitudes. You know, they begin with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And all the commentators uh, teach us that 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 phrase means that they were spiritually bankrupt. The poor in spirit don't have anything to offer God. That they can't save themselves. That they're admitting that that they're lost without God. That they're dead without God. That there's nothing they can do to earn their way into the kingdom or to buy their way into the kingdom. That even if we kept pushing and striving and working, trying this relationship or that relationship, there's nothing we can do to buy our way into the kingdom on our own. So if we're dead, what are we going to do? What hope do we have? Verses 4 and 5 point us to that hope. But because of his great love for us, because of God's love for all of God's people, God, who is rich in mercy, don't miss that phrase, not only because of his love, but because of his mercy, I'll talk more about this, but mercy is not getting the punishment we deserve. God is rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions or dead in our sins. It is by grace you've been saved. That's what makes dead people alive. That's what resurrects us. That's what moves us from being spiritually dead, spiritually bankrupt, having no hope, to having everything. To being alive. Jesus talked about fullness of life, abundant life. And Paul goes into this. We don't have a lot of time to focus on it. But he goes on to talk about where we are with with God. You know, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, at his right hand with everything. And he doesn't mean legally. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not in heaven right now. I mean, sorry, literally. He doesn't mean literally. We're still on this, on, in this sinful world. But he means legally. You know, spiritually. The spiritual legal standard has been met for us by Jesus. And so when God looks at us, he sees Christ. He sees Someone that's seated at the right hand of God. And that the coming kingdom. Why is grace amazing? Because it can make dead people alive. Second, grace makes proud people humble. Grace can humble us. Because, of, uh, because of, of what it is and, and what, it's, what it's done. Verse, verse 3, you know, Paul is, Paul is describing, you know, the ways of the world. He's even describing the evil one, Satan, that deceives people and is at work in those that are disobedient. And then 
he says, all of us, all of us also lived among them at one time. A lot of times we think about, you know, there's good people and there's bad people. There's people in the church. There's people outside the church. There's people that are religious, people that aren't religious. And yet, Paul is saying here what he says in Romans 3, that there's no one righteous, that there is no one who seeks God, that all of us were in that same boat, that we, that we were prideful, that we were following the desires of our own heart. <clears throat> my, uh, my former pastor, uh, he, he used to say, stop Stop thinking about in terms of us versus them. Stop thinking about, you know, insiders and outsiders. There is no us and them. There's us, and there's us's who don't know their us's. You know, we, we get to talk to them. They, they don't know their us's yet, but they're part of it. How do they become part of us? How do they become part of Christ's church? They admit that they can't save themselves. They admit that they're lost. They humble themselves. They trust that, that it's God's the one that does it, not us. I, um, I meet with people all the time in my office who feel, they feel guilty. You know, they feel weighed down by choices that they've made or, or, or mistakes they've made in the past or maybe an addiction that they just can't get loose from. And a lot of times they're, they're just, they're beating themselves up. They just can't, can't get over what they've done, and, and they feel so weighed down by all that. And a lot of times I forget this, but sometimes I'm able to say it in, in a gentle way and in a helpful way. But even that kind of beating ourselves up and self-flagellation and feeling so awful, even that is a way to earn you know, even that, some of us think that if we beat ourselves up enough, then God will accept us. Or maybe you made a mistake in a relationship, and if I beat myself up so much, then my spouse will have to take me back. When we get out of that mindset that even that is not going to earn you God's love, that's still all about you, not about God or his glory. When we remember that grace is a gift, that we don't have to work for, we don't have to earn. Even that is a, you know, that, that beating ourselves up, that's a form of pride. And yet we can say all of us, all of us were, were doing those things. All of us were following the desires of our own heart. And all of us are in need of God's grace and his forgiveness. Are you beginning to see how amazing it is what God does for us? Paul, Paul, uh, no, 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 not yet. I want to share this story. I want to share this story that I've shared a, a few times, but it became very um, new for me. You know, the, the, the Les Mis story, Jean Valjean, he's, he's unjustly accused and he's sent to prison for 30 years but even though he didn't do the crime he was convicted of, while he's in prison, he, he becomes hardened and he becomes prideful. And he, he thinks, all these years have been stolen from me, so I'm going to steal from people. And when he gets out, he becomes a criminal. And he goes into the home of the bishop, and they welcome him, they show him hospitality, but in the middle of the night, 
He steals their candlesticks, and he, and, he, uh, and he leaves. But the police catch him, and they bring him back. And what does the bishop say? The bishop says, no, no, no. He didn't steal from me. I meant to give him the silver also. And he gives him the silver. And that moment, that moment of grace, transforms his life. And he understands grace, and he, he understands what it means to be a person of faith. Well, this is my second car story of the day. Um, my, our, uh, my dad's truck was parked at, at my place, and it was left unlocked. I'm not going to say who did that. But um, somebody broke in that night and took my computer, which was inside. And so I was, I was thinking, of, and it, you know, it's, it's still, it still haunts me. When somebody comes like onto your house or your property and steals, then it's always kind of in the back of your mind, right? You're always thinking, okay, what's in there that they might take? Um, what's, you know, what's, um, yeah, well, you're just always, always thinking about it. I, I, I heard this really, this really funny joke. This, this woman was living in New York City in like 1985. They had tons of crime back then. And um, her car got broken into because she had left a couple things on the dashboard. And when the cops asked her, well, what did you leave? Like, why did they bust your window and break in? She said, a pack of cigarettes and an apple. And they were like, well, what'd you think was gonna happen? I don't know, I thought that was really funny. A pack of cigarettes and an apple, like a dollar, but okay, yeah. So you're always thinking about it. You're always thinking about that someone might break in again and, and you're always being really cautious and everything. So I was thinking, if they would have actually caught the scoundrels that took my computer and they brought them to me, I certainly wouldn't have said, here you go, take my printer also so that you can print out all the things that you're, that you're creating on my laptop that you stole. But... If I could be part of teaching one person what grace is, and I could be part of a transformation in their life where they understood and where they, they left that life and they live for Christ, how worth it would it be? And I, you know, I connect to this lay mis story because I'm not a pastor, but, I, but I'm not a bishop, but I'm a pastor. And... Yet, what if we flipped it around a little bit? And what if I thought of myself not as that pastor, but as that criminal who's in need of grace? Who's a sinner in need of grace? Who messes up? And God continually pours out his grace on me. And sooner or later, that gets a hold of my heart. And that, that's really what changes us. Sometimes people think, well, if you just preach grace all the time, you know, people will do whatever they want and they'll never, they'll never change. They'll never reform themselves. They'll be like that person at the beginning saying, I like to sin and God likes to forgive. How great is that? What a misunderstanding of grace. Because when it gets a hold of your heart, it changes every area of your life. And, you, and you're, you're humbled. You go from prideful to humble. And then, and then, Paul says that grace teams up with mercy and love. Grace is being given a gift that we don't deserve. 
Mercy is being spared the punishment that we do deserve. So he says in, in verse 4 that God is rich in mercy. And because, because of his great love, that's why he gives us grace. Because he has this incredible love for his people. Um, the, the, the British pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he, he tells this, uh, this illustration. He says, think about a friend that goes to your home, knocks on the door, but you know, you're not there. He's a good friend, so he, so he lets himself in. And he sees that there's a bill on the counter that, uh, that needs to be paid. So he takes that bill, he writes a check, he sends it in, and uh, he takes care of that for you. How would you feel? I mean, I would feel a little weird that he went into my house when I wasn't there and, uh, and took the bill. But other than that, you know, how would you, how would you really feel? Well, Lloyd-Jones says that it depends on how big the bill is. If it's my phone bill from last month, if it's, you know, 40 or $50, hey, that was really nice of you. Thanks for doing that. If it was seven years of back taxes from the IRS, tens of thousands of dollars, and this thing hanging over your, your head and the people hounding you and garnishing your wages and threatening you with jail time and all these sorts of things, if that's the bill he paid, then you fall at his feet and you give him a hug and you tell him, how could I ever repay you? What, what can I do for you? How can I make it up to you? You'd be blown away by the generosity. And that's what Christ has done for you and me. That's, that's the mercy on a, such a grand scale. We, we realize when we get that, when we get how much Christ has forgiven us, we would never see it as a license to sin or a license to go our own way and do whatever. And we can try to, we can try to run away from it. We can try to flee, but God's grace has a way of chasing after us. God's grace has a way of finding us. And we just fall at, at the feet of Christ and offer our lives to him. Last, Paul shows us in verses 9 and 10 that God's grace is to us, but it doesn't stop there. That God's grace must move through us in, this, in a life of service, in a life of gratitude. Uh, when we understand what's been given to us, we want to share that with others. And so it's not, it, it's not by works, but by grace. Paul says that again and again. But once we are captured by Christ, once we understand grace, this, uh, this, these good works flow out of us in love toward other people, in generosity of time and money. We realize that it's all a gift. And so we don't try to hoard it up ourselves, but, but we spread it around. Verse 10 says... We are God's handiwork or workmanship. Our NIV says workmanship. Some of the older translations say God's handiwork. Uh, but the, the Greek word there is poema, 
which is, we get poem from. Poetry. You are God's poetry. You are God's work of art. You are God's song. You are these beautiful things that God is created, that he's crafting. And what, what the word says here is, you know, go. Go do your thing. All the hard things that you've been through, all the ups and downs, our personalities, our experiences, our struggles, God's grace redeems them all. And somebody, somewhere, needs to hear what you've gone through and the grace that was there for you. He says, God prepared in advance for you to do these works. God has something specifically for every believer to do. To speak of his grace, to encourage people, to discover the grace that blesses the world. And I love that, that picture of workmanship, craftsmanship, God's poetry. So my life can be a song that God has written that I share with other people. And it's all because of Christ. It's because of what he's done. It's because of the incredible, amazing grace that he's given to each one of us that takes lost people, that takes dead people, brings them home, makes them alive, that mixes it all together with love and mercy, that humbles us, that sends us out into this world. And friends, we, we've had this vision at our church for a long time, making new friends, sharing good news, sharing good news of grace with our neighbors. And we're going to have a lot of opportunities to do that in the months ahead. As things open up a little more, we can have more people in here, even as of a couple days ago. We have more opportunities to serve our neighborhood and interact with people and bring hope. Bring hope in a really difficult season for a lot of people. To share with them God's grace. God has forgiven you. God has wiped the slate clean. And God has hope and a future for you. And we're going to be, uh, that's where we're going as a church. To share his grace with the hurting world. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace that has made us alive. For your grace that has humbled us. For your grace that is full of love and mercy and for your grace that doesn't stop with us but goes out to those around us. Our roommates, our friends, our family, our co-worker, our neighbors. Lord, plant a seed of grace in us today so that we can let go of our desire to be our own God or our desire to judge others and look down on them. If we're all just forgiven sinners, Lord, 
then how could we ever hold something against others? May we share the grace that you have so lavishly given to us. And may you transform us, God, not just by going to church an hour a week, but truly transform us to live a life for you that's rooted in grace. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.